there's a drive in Kelly for like serious self-worth. Get curious about sex. I'm not only going to woo my partner, but I'm going to woo myself. And then meditate. I'm like, oh my God, I'm a monk. You're not always in control. And it was like pride, not have periods, not have emotions. I'm going to need to feel everything. I found in those shattered pieces my truth. We're just piling more shame and judgment on top of the original problem. You're sick. Your body's revolting against you. Epstein-Barr virus, not a megalovirus. These are things that can be simmering on you that you don't know. And they're the trigger for your problem. Making the connection between your mind and your body, your emotional needs. That is how we heal. You're listening to a Soul Fire Productions podcast. Oh my, oh my, do I have a treat for you today. My girl, Sarah Small, also known as the Uncensored Empath, is in the house. Well, she was in the house about two months ago, but she's in the podcast house today. (laughs) I love Sarah so much and I'm so grateful. She lives about 30 minutes from me now. So I am so excited once all of this chaos is over to hang out with her, learn from her, just be in her energy. She is such a spectacular woman. And I have just really felt very drawn to her for a long time. And I think it's because of the way she approaches spirituality and wellness. She is basically a no bullshit approach to all of it. She's extremely honest and open and raw and vulnerable with her story. She has been through it in so many ways with chronic illness and death in the family and many, many rebirths in different ways, which we get into in this episode. I am so excited about this. I don't want to draw this open out at all because I want to get right into this conversation that was full of some tears and some heart-wrenching moments. And really any of you and all of you will resonate with what she talks about and the way she presents it in such a relatable, loving, compassionate way. So before we get into this, I just want to tell you a little bit more about her show, The Uncensored Empath. As I said, it's all about her 15-year journey with chronic illness, her experience with loss and grief, and this desire that built within her to integrate darkness into the light. And that's what has helped her create such a thriving wellness business of teaching others. So she supports empaths and highly sensitive people, which... I am both. So my hand is raised over here and I'm grateful to have her to guide me. And she helps you create a body, a business and a life that you love by blending energy, neuroscience, spirituality and intuition. Yes, please. Sarah, I love this so much. Please go over to her show, subscribe, rate, review, give her those five stars. And don't forget, she's a part of the Soul Fire Network and family And we love what she's brought to the table. And just a quick reminder, we are partnered with BetterHelp over here. And we partnered with them because I really believe in getting help and support when it comes to mental health. And for a long time, I was scared to ask for help. And I thought there was something wrong with me. And I thought it meant I was broken. And once I started working with therapists Over 10 years ago, my whole world changed. And so when I found BetterHelp, which is this really simple to use online marketplace where you can find licensed professional therapists and work with them within 24 hours of connecting, I realized that there was something here for our community. So 
it's not just some self-help thing or boring talk therapy, which I'm sure a lot of you are like, I don't want to do that. I've done it. It doesn't interest me. My therapist that I work with is super spiritual and she has really become a spiritual guided mentor for me and someone that I can really turn to to get resources and, and thoughts on what's coming up for me and how to navigate this time. So I love that. And we're able to do video calls, which is super cool. So I can see her and really connect even though we're not in person. And it's really affordable. It adds up to a little less than $60 a week. And you can have a conversation with your therapist weekly plus unlimited messages over their platform and they get back to you really fast. So if you guys are curious about getting help, getting therapy, talking to someone about what's coming up for you, I cannot recommend them enough. So if you go to betterhelp.com slash Kelly, you can get 10% off and head over there now. Just check it out. If you're at all curious, just see what they have to offer, see what it looks like and use the code Kelly for 10% off. All right, here is Sarah Small. Okay, so tell me this tooth story from the beginning. All right. <laughs> so first thing, I watched that damn Netflix documentary that got pulled off. Did you ever see no. it? Okay, it got pulled off of everything. I'm sure you could find it on like the dark net somewhere. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but it was called Root Cause, and I don't think it's up anywhere anymore. <gasps> but I watched this documentary, and it got pulled off because the ADA, American Dental Association, had, you know, some, some feathers ruffled. And, I mean, essentially it was saying that the way that we practice dentistry creates more issues than resolutions, than healing. So I got to watch it before it got pulled off. And so my main takeaway there was, is there's this thing called 3D cone beam scans. I had never heard of this. Like I was very regular about my dentist visits, yearly cleanings and all that. And I got my x-rays, but the 3D cone beam scan really shows a more 3D image of your mouth. And myself having the history of jaw surgery at 16 years old, so I had a uh, really bad overbite. It was not cute. <laughs> I could put my whole thumb uh, like between my, you know, back of my big buck teeth and then like my lower wow. jaw. And so, you know, there was like obviously the cosmetic issue, but really they were concerned about TMJ and like what would happen to me later in life. So I had my jaw sawed on both sides and then pulled forward. And then I have six screws still, three screws, titanium screws on each side of my mouth. God. And yeah, and it, I, my mouth was um, wired shut for six weeks in, as a sophomore in high school. And I was like drinking slim fast. <laughs> yeah. Delicious. I did that in college to get skinny. Oh, delicious. Different reasons. <laughs> it was not, yeah, that between like that and Ensure, which is like, yeah, just like high calorie disgusting. I would never <laughs> have that again today. But anyways, um, I had this history of a lot of mouth issues, like between the jaw surgery I had, and then I had chronic jaw pain, which was supposed to not happen since I had jaw surgery. And it ended up happening because they messed up my jaw surgery and they had to take the three screws out on one side, redo it back when I was under anesthesia at age 16. And later in life, I found out that they, they didn't align my jaw the correct way. So I actually had more pain than I probably would have had, had if I never had that surgery. So then fast forward to this Netflix documentary and I'm like, you know, I've already got all these diagnoses of like other chronic illness and they 
they highlighted that you could get this 3D combing scan, but also that every tooth in our mouth has an energy meridian connected to it. And so I was like, oh my God, this is fascinating. <laughs> Let me go learn more. And so I found a holistic dentist, which happened to be in the city next to mine, which was like, yes, sounds so buddy. <laughs> and in that cone beam scan, they showed an infection underneath my tooth 18, which is associated with the colon. Whoa. And with celiac disease, like, okay, there's some crossover there. Like we can't, there's not a direct correlation, but we can hypothesize a bit. And so I decide they're like, okay, you can get a root canal, which is going to basically lead to an infection at some point because your tooth is porous or you can get it pulled out. And I'm like, it's the back bottom left molar. Like I don't need it. So just pull it. So I have um, leading up to it being pulled last April, I think I had some homeopathic injections in my mouth as well as some ozone therapy, which God, that stuff is intense yeah. and amazing. At you the did same ozone time. into your mouth directly? Yeah. They, okay. So they had me hooked up to like, like it looked like you're on oxygen, mm -hmm. right? Um, like the nasal thing. Then they shot it up my nose with a syringe and then they injected it into my, my gums back in my upper and lower off both sides of the four different injection spots. And so I'm like, okay, this is, this is a lot, <laughs> but like, I was so curious to see how I would feel afterwards. And by the end of four treatments of the ozone and homeopathics, and then the tooth actually coming out, which you, you were talking about, you mm -hmm. saw on my Instagram, my entire face like changed. It like morphed. It was fucking insane. Yeah. So I had one side of my face that was kind of, I, I noticed it, but it not really. It's like you're kind of getting older and you look at yourself every day. So you do really notice things like that. And one side of my face was clearly swollen. And then I have and have had since my early 20s melasma, the hyperpigmentation of the skin mixed with vitiligo, which is an autoimmune disease. But all of a sudden, these, this pigment on my face like almost disappeared. So freaking crazy. And my eyelashes started growing longer. Like it was amazing to see what one little thing as an infection in your body. And I mean, I think this relates to anybody with any sort of thing that's invisible or undiscovered, how that little thing could be affecting your body so greatly. And then you remove that thing that is so toxic in your body and whew, like everything starts to like lift and light mm -hmm. up a little bit. So yeah, it was, it was, it was freaking crazy. Well, it's systemic inflammation. Yeah. It's what happened to me when I got the IUD mm -hmm. and immediately IUD all of my autoimmune symptoms came back and mm. I was like, what the fuck? Why is this happening? I couldn't figure it out. And I went on all these message boards of women had had or we're currently dealing with autoimmune issues and the yeah. IUD just skyrocketed everything. Yeah. I'm like, this is crazy, but it makes sense because you're totally. causing systemic inflammation and it affects everything in your yeah. body. Everything's connected. We yeah. think like, oh, it's just, you know, located. It, it's a local thing. It's only in this place. No, that, it doesn't work like that. No, it's not possible. And with, I mean, we're knowingly. So I thought by getting the copper IUD, when I got it, I was doing the best thing possible for my body because there's not a lot of non-hormonal options as women for birth control. Yeah. And I didn't, I mean, I was trying to not get pregnant. And so I got the copper IUD and same thing as you like notice these inflammatory responses in my body. But when my intuition finally was like, girl, you got to get this out. I went and listened to my intuition to get it out. The 
I think it was a nurse that, you know, your legs are spread and they go to like pull it out and getting it pulled out Ooh. is really not nearly as painful as getting it put in. But she's like, even if you wanted to keep this in today, it's halfway expelled. Shut the fuck up. So it was, she's like, this is not birth control. And of course my boyfriend slash then fiance now husband was like, what? <laughs> what it was like hanging out of your uterus. They, so yeah, it was not it was dislodged. It was, ex it was already expelling itself out of my uterus. Whoa. And I am very in tune with my body. And I was like, babe, how did you ever feel that? I never felt it. He's like, no, what? So I don't know. It must've expelled in a way that like was not obvious or apparent to like yeah. touch. And she's like, you can't keep this in your body anyways. And to me, I went home like I, I started crying. Actually, I had this deep compassion for myself, for my vagina, mm -hmm. for for knowing that there was something toxic inside my body. And so our copper zinc ratio is like very delicate in our body. And when you put copper into your body, then it's going to mess with that ratio. Mm. And excess copper shows up as melasma on your face. Shut up. Yeah. What? Yeah. So that made a lot of sense. And I was in tears, just like touching myself, being like, thank you, body, for knowing what, like it was trying to get rid of it on its own. Yeah. And then of course, like, you know, the nurse just kind of pulled it out and they're like, you know, do you, do you want birth control? And I'm like, no, I don't want birth control. I just don't want to put synthetic hormones in my body. But, um, this seemed like the best option. And then it led, led to health issues. And the other thing I'll say about the IUD so it's, it's literally like inside of like your sacral chakra. Right. So when I got it removed, I noticed my creativity skyrocketed because that's our, our creative energy exactly. center. So all of a sudden my creativity was through the roof. It was, it was great. And I have a, I have an Instagram post that's funny. It's, it's still like, I don't know, once a week, somebody will comment on it. Cause they're looking for, they have all these symptoms like you're saying, uh -huh. and they're trying to figure out what the hell's wrong. You were, before we started recording, you were getting into the energetics of the tooth thing. Yeah. And of course you're talking about like that feminine womb space. Yeah. What did you feel happening energetically where this was manifesting in such a toxic way for you? Um, so we have all these, well, in our mouth, there's an energy meridian connected to every tooth, which is fascinating, but we have energy meridians through our entire body. And it's something that we, even though we can't see it with our human eyes, there are some ways we can sort of see it through things like aura photography or Korean photography where there's, um, have you ever heard of that? No. Oh my God. We have to Google this afterwards. Okay. <laughs> so they'll take a picture with specific technology of a, like a tomato, a conventional tomato and then an organic tomato and literally the energy field around it. It looks totally different based on like, because Food is energy. What you put into your body holds a frequency. Every freaking thing on this planet holds a frequency. And for the people who have a heart, like a, there's a disconnect between energy versus what they can see. Like, you know, I can touch my hand. I can see my fingernails right now. If we were to put a microscope over either of our hands right now on the very cellular level, you would see these tiny little microscopic cells vibrating. Like we are just vibrational human beings when you put us down to our bare, bare parts and the energy meridians, even though we can't 
see them like literally flowing through our face or flowing through our heart or whatever, we can very much see how they affect our life and an emotional freedom technique tapping. Uh, we tap on the top of the head because there's like the base, the source of all the energy meridians come together at the top of your head. And so to me, you can notice how your body is physically showing you a symptom, but oftentimes that is a manifestation of what's happening on the energetic, spiritual, or emotional level. And I was just teaching this inside of a course this week. So we, we if we think of our body as like this, this silhouette, like I always use the example of tracing your hand at Thanksgiving to make like a turkey. Do you, do you ever do that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So My you, giant hand as a yeah. child of Jesus. <laughs> My parents are like, wow, this turkey is really big this compared great, to everyone else's. This is a great turkey, <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> so when you when you trace your hand, if you think, okay, here's my physical hand, but then around that is is your um, emotional body, your mental body, your spiritual body. And while we can only see the physical body, what happens outside of that is pure manifestation energy. And so what happens in the mental, emotional, and spiritual body shows up in the physical body as symptoms. And so, I mean, between the sacral chakra and my creativity and then my face and right along the, I was describing it before as like football player, like stripes that they put on their face before the game. That's where I had the darkest melasma spots. And uh, on an emotional level, I I also linked that to like literally having to play the the archetype or the role of a warrior in my life mm. and having to constantly protect and defend myself uh, from past traumas, from just the world for a lot of my life has not felt safe. And there was like this thing that I, you know, was very self-conscious of, but was really representative of what was happening emotionally inside of me of always feeling like I had to protect myself and play, be like, be the warrior and mm. put on this strong face uh, underneath a lot of emotions that I wasn't afraid to, or I wasn't uh, comfortable sharing. So you talk about a lot of traumas and I know that you've talked um, in depth about childhood traumas and how that affects us in so many aspects of our lives. I know you've been very open about the death of your brother's what was going on as a child that you feel is directly correlated or related to all of the physical illness that you've experienced? Yeah. When people ask me when my chronic illness journey started, I always go back to seventh grade. And that was when I first had my, I had my first, first diagnosis. I had my first like label uh, and it was stomach migraines. And you think about, and of, of course I didn't put this all together until many years later, but at that time it was the same year my parents got divorced. And we think so much of autoimmune as I'm sure you've heard it described as the body attacking itself. To me, autoimmune is not the body attacking itself because I think that we are innately self-healing organisms and self-preservation beings. We're always going to do what our body is at least thinks is protecting us. So to me, autoimmune is on an emotional, more energetic level, actually the inability to digest yourself or to digest something that's happening in your life. And 
at seventh grade, I had these debilitating stomach migraines. They would come on like a tax and I would just be out. I, I could hardly move. Like I would just be curled over in pain. And on uh, at my home life, my parents were going through a divorce that was a shock to my system that I couldn't digest. That it was so hard for me at, what was I, maybe 12, 13 years old to comprehend that our entire lives were going to change from that point forward. And also that I was the oldest of four kids. And I felt, I put myself in that moment. That was my choice. Not, no one made me do this, but I unconsciously, I think did this and said, I'm going to be the caretaker, but of, of everyone, my mom, my dad, and my three younger siblings. And so my first physical symptoms started manifesting when life started to throw me uh, changes that were really hard to process and to digest. And then that led to a whole slew of other physical symptoms and other traumas throughout my life that have deeply affected me, but also been my greatest teachers. I think the interesting thing too, is the mental health aspect of that. Yeah. And I, I, I told you earlier, I was stalking your, your way back posts <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's so interesting to see the evolution of someone. I love it. But yeah. you were talking a lot about the mental health and how so many of the depression or suicidal or bipolar or um, I mean, I could go on and on any mental health issue directly linked back to this. So yeah. it's the physical manifestations. I think, you know, we talk a lot about autoimmune disease, both of us on our shows and chronic illness, but it's more than that. The effects that it takes and has on your body and your entire mental state of being is so deep. Yeah. How have you seen that in your life? Yeah. To me, it has been a constant and chronic fear state. Really having a hard time feeling safe in the world. And that has shown up in a lot of anxiety. And at points in my life, debilitating anxiety where I could hardly leave the house. And what I noticed is that. When we hold on to emotions, or I should say we repress an emotion, or for in my case, uh, there were more of the traumas came later on in life. I don't have any like specific memories of like under you know, seven or even under 12, like of traumas. Life felt pretty good and normal, but I think we define trauma or we, as a, in general, think of trauma as the big things, yeah. you know, this giant tragedy mm -hmm. capital T traumas mm -hmm. versus lowercase T traumas. And I think one of my lowercase T traumas of when I was younger as a little girl was always being fine and being told that you needed to always be fine. There's three other little kids running around, like at least the oldest can keep her shit together. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so I very much did. And I was a perfectionist type a like varsity sports soccer player, like had my high school sweetheart, you know, it was just checking all those freaking exhausting, boring boxes <laughs> off the list and really maintaining this status of like fine or really perfect. And what that does to you over time is you repress and repress and repress and repress and your emotions hold energy. And we can see this. It's freaking fascinating. Uh, we can see it in numerous ways. One of my favorite ways to, to direct or guide people to is Dr. Mas, um, Masumaro Emoto, Dr. Emoto. I know it's Dr. Emoto. It's the water experiments. Mm. And so there's a, you know, a, a container of water 
and you project love, the emotion of love onto the water. And it'll show when you zoom in a specific, perfectly geometric shape of love. And then if you project anger, the emotion of anger onto the water, the, the crystals within the water will completely transform and change. And so our emotions hold energy. And so we, while I thought I was doing the best thing for me by maintaining perfect and maintaining fine was actually just burrowing, burrowing, burrowing shit underneath. Like, let's put a little in the liver and let's put some in the digestive system. And like, oh my gosh, fibromyalgia. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia at 17 years old, chronic. And it was really in my back. And like that burden, that feeling of the weight on your, on your shoulders, the weight of the world on your shoulders. And so when we have this more lowercase t trauma, which limiting beliefs can be a trauma if you hold on to them for long enough in your life. And you hold that, hold that, hold that. Eventually it catches up with you. Eventually you burn out, you break down, or you do have mental health issues. Uh, and and the, the post I think you're referencing is that they're like, I think it's, well, it depends on what diagnosis you've received, but all of them are over 80% of those diagnoses have also experienced childhood trauma. And to me, that is just one of those like big red lights flashing of like, why are we treating mental health and mental illness in a way that is covering up the root of the problem instead of asking people about their childhood? asking people about just anything that's happened in their past. And instead just um, my brother, Jordan had been prescribed like lithium. He was on lithium when he died Uh, within six months after the death of Jordan, my little sister was having a lot of mental health issues. She went to a doctor and I remember, I, I remember this because it like, what's the saying? It's like my blood was, was um, boiling, boiling. I'm texting her as she's sitting for 45 minutes waiting inside this um, psychiatrist's office. And she's like, has anxiety like already. She's already an anxious person. And then the going to the doctor already gives her anxiety. So she's going into an anxiety attack as she sits for and waits for 45 minutes. And then they take her back eventually after she gets up and asks like, hey, am I going to be seen? He talks to her for five minutes and he prescribes her lithium. What the fuck are we? Why lithium? I don't, it, there's, I mean, like, I know why based on like their idea of what that would do and like calm the system down or whatever. But like, to me, <laughs> I called the freaking, like I big sister over here. Oh, I, yeah, girl, I, I, I am do mama too. bear. I am such a mama bear. I called the damn office and I was like, my little sister was just in there. Did you, do you know anything about her? Do you know that she's a vegan? Do you know that she lost her brother to suicide less than a year ago? Do you know that she's an artist? Do you know, like, do you know anything about her? Do you know anything about her? And you just gave her lithium and expect her to what? What? What do you expect that to do for her? And yeah, I ended up looking at their Yelp reviews and they were, they had really bad Yelp reviews and it was like a, um, like a, what did they say? It was like a drug, drug, um, I don't know, place to get drugs basically. Like if you. Like a dealer's office. Yeah. Like, like a drug dealer's wow. office. And I was like, sister, you are never going back there. Mm-mm. We are, we are doing something different. And she's in Michigan. I'm out here in Colorado. So it's a little bit hard to like, you know, guide her in the right direction. but. Um, yeah, I just think that our mental health system is really, really broken in the way that we address 
address mental health as a whole and even the way we diagnose it. Um, I, I know with my chronic illness journey, how many times I can't tell you how many times I've been diagnosed with depression and I'm like, I'm not fucking depressed. I feel bad yeah. and depressed because of X, Y, Z, but that is not what is mm-hmm. happening here. I had the same experience. And I know people will disagree with me on this, but to me, depression is a symptom. Yes. And it's, it's not the root of what's going on. It's, it's, yeah, it's very normal to feel, to feel upset, frustrated, sad, uh, like you are in this kind of dark place when you're going through so much in your life. But to me, taking a pill that is hypothetical based on a hypothetical theory that like a serotonin imbalance is what causes depression. Cause we don't actually know that is, is not getting to the root of the problem. And I'm just really sick of seeing people put band-aids on issues and then people not just not knowing any better because of course we're not taught this. Like I am sure like you have had to do tons of my own research and advocate for myself to figure all this out. But they're like, oh, well, like if I take this pill, I'm going to start to feel better. And they genuinely think that and they think that, that that's like the best thing that they can be doing for their body. And I totally get that. But there's so much more ways we can support our mental health and our psyche and our body as a whole inflammation levels. There's a huge link between just inflammation and depression that uh, I'm not an expert on. And I'm just going to be fully transparent. This is not my expertise, but it's something I'm, I've deeply touched in my life, both yeah. personally and with all of my siblings um, that has affected us really deeply. And that's what fuels my fire. That makes me want to talk about it. Well, and I think when it comes to depression and things that you're going to take an antidepressant for, I'm not completely against that. I think there's a time and a place. Yeah. However, I'm completely with you on the fact that if you are doing that, your ass better be in therapy yeah, and you better be talking about what's happening to you and why you feel the way you do, not the bandaid effect of, Oh, just take this pill and you will feel better. And it will be butterflies and rainbows because you know, what's going to happen. No, you're going to hit a wall again and you're not going to know why. And it's that transparency and that willingness to be radically honest about your life and your own traumas and experiences. Cause let's be serious. Every single person has had some sort of trauma in their life, whether it's ginormous or a small thing. Um, or even a story from when you were three years old and your mom lost you in the grocery store. And that's very traumatic Mm -hmm. and it sticks with you, even though it was an accident. So I think that if that is the route you're going to take, which I understand for many people doing the work around that, having a support system, having those conversations, there has to be that balance between the two. Yeah. And that I totally agree. And I think there's a time and a place for medications and they can be they can be life-saving in, right. in certain situations, especially when someone really needs to um, just like calm their nervous system. Cause when our nervous system is in that state of fight or flight, like it's, it's so freaking hard to live in survival mode. I, I tried that for a long time and, and it really uh, impairs your, your healing and you're moving forward. Uh, what angers me is when it's like, okay, here's this antidepressant. See you next year. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, wait, next. Okay. Are you sure? Yeah. Am here's be 20 okay? refills. Bye. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm curious. I totally resonate with who you are and your personality. I think that's why we've gotten along so well. So we really understand each other in the, the take care role as a child, the yeah. independent, let me hold it all together. I'll make things better. Um, and the very like type a controlling aspect. 
And you're such a mom. You're a mama bear. Oh my God. So for you to experience such loss of people, I'm sure you worked so hard to protect. How have you been able to digest that? Yeah. Um, thank you for really seeing me in that. I, that like makes me want to cry. Um, I very much made myself not only an older sister, but a mom to my younger siblings and my little sister's 10 years younger than me. So like, I did feel more of like a, at least a mentor, if not a mom to her, but a lot of that caretaker role. And I very much had this limiting belief in the past of that I had to be responsible for everyone in my life. And I didn't learn until after Jordan died, how restricting and limiting that was for me in my life. Cause I couldn't take care of myself when I was constantly putting people, especially my siblings before myself. And so when Jordan died, it came as a complete shock to my entire system. Not only was it shocking in itself that just the fact that he would take his own life, but that, that how would I move forward from there? It was just very hard to process and very hard to digest. And when I look back now, that was almost five years ago. It'll be five years this June and I remember exactly where I was and I, all the like, you know, aftermath of that was very clear in my mind still. And about, it wasn't in the immediate aftermath, but it was maybe two weeks, a month kind of, as I started to, to be able to process and figure out what does this mean to me? Because we're all going to process our grief in a different way. How am I going to choose to process this? And how do I move forward from this tragic insurmountable loss that I it just it was like unfathomable at the time. And what I realized was that it allowed me, the gift in his death was that it allowed me to break down. And for so many years, I was, air quotes, perfect, keeping all my shit together, type A, there for everyone at the expense of myself all the freaking time. I would, I would compromise my own well-being to take care of other people. And when Jordan died, I couldn't do that anymore. There was no fucking way I had the energy to maintain that mask and that image any longer. Like it just was not happening. So I explained that as my moment of cracking open crumbling down and then choosing to rebuild and rebuilding in a much more intentional and conscious way. Because like you were mentioning, I, I did see him, yes, as a little brother, but also somewhat like a son. And he's only, he, he was only like less than two years younger than me, but there was still this very protective. I remember in high school, he came home, we were at my dad's house for the weekend and he texted me at like 6 a.m. He's like, Sarah, can you open the back door? And I go to the back door and he's soaking wet. I'm like, Jordan, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, so I snuck out last night and we got high or something. And then he had he tried to figure out some excuse for why, in case my dad opened the back door, why he was outside and locked out of the house. Oh so we had like a community neighborhood pool. So he went and jumped in the pool <laughs> thinking, okay, in case dad opens the door, I'll tell wow. him I went for a morning swim in my full clothes. 
Very thoughtful on the come down. That's I know, impressive. I know. So, um, you know, it was just that was an example of me, you know, protecting him and looking out for him, even though I mean, I was the common thread between when we were at mom's house and when we were at dad's house. So I feel like I was the protector and I built a relationship with all my siblings in which they could trust me and lean on me whenever they were in time of need. So losing Jordan was insane. It was so hard. Uh, but I would say that in that moment, it was also an opportunity to let go of so many freaking facades that now I look back and I'm like, Bleh. like why? Like that was so exhausting. And I'm so grateful for him in that he, his death allowed me that opportunity to, to rebuild and to regrow and to really change the entire trajectory of my life. I, I'm a totally different person because of that. And then this last year, you yeah. experienced almost the same thing all over again. Yeah. So I got married October 11th of 2019 to my husband, Andrew. And it, uh, you know, it was a beautiful wedding. And I have, like, the pictures are freaking phenomenal. And I felt gorgeous. And all You were so beautiful. <laughs> I mean, you Thank are you. always. But, you know, that bridal beauty. Oh, you I were felt glowing. so good. I yeah. did. I felt very good. I had a flower crown. Yeah, you and did. Like, it was so great. Um, but I won't. I'm also not going to lie. I think that so many people are like, your wedding's supposed to be the best day of your life. And all this pressure around it. And it was everything I wanted it to be. It wasn't bad. But there was also a lot of trauma on my wedding day. I woke up having a fight with my mom and sobbing the morning of my wedding. And my brother Joe was supposed to not be at my wedding. The We hadn't talked almost all of last year um, because he said some very hurtful things that me trying to create some boundaries said, you know, if you can't, if we can't have a healthy relationship, I just can't do this anymore. And by the very much forcing and pushing of my mother a month or two before my wedding, uh, eventually Joe apologized for some of the things he said. And I was in a very hard position because I wanted him to be there. I never, I've never stopped loving him. Never. And I wanted him to be there more than anything, but he also said some very hurtful things. And, uh, it, it, it was very challenging because he struggled for many, many years with addiction and addiction has very much affected our relationship, the relationship he and I had together. And it, it was really hard. Uh, and when I finally stopped back to that motherly role, trying to fix him, all of a sudden I was like, Whoa, if I'm not going to try and swoop in and fix him, then what is our relationship? Where do like, how, how do we move forward from here? If I'm not going to create a codependency with you. <laughs> and, um, anyways, the morning of the wedding there, there was like a lot of mm, tension within the family. However, it ended up being a beautiful fucking day. And my brother was amazing. He, the next day was the caretaker of my dog. So she wouldn't eat more than like three hamburgers at our <laughs> cookout. And we had, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful we had an amazing time, my brother and I, that day, October 11th. And then they left, I think, on the 12th or 13th to fly back to Michigan. And then the 19th, I got a call from my little sister that he was dead. And she had recently moved out of my mom's house. He was still living in my mom's house. My mom was up north at her boyfriend's house. So he was alone by himself. And then my sister came over to do laundry at the house and just found him um, curled over dead. 
in his bedroom. And we very much believe that it was an accidental overdose. There's no, no reason for us to believe that he took his own life, but it didn't make it any fucking easier to process it. It almost made it worse because yeah. it was like, you can choose to take your own life or you can accidentally just, your life is over. And so in that moment I flew, you know, we flew back home immediately to go be with my family and it's still really hard to process. Um, he's been coming to me in my dreams mm -hmm. and I think that's been helpful to what, what I feel like we didn't get to do in our human physical bodies was heal our relationship. The last conversation I had with him was Tuesday. He died on Saturday. It was over the phone and he was calling because part of my agreement to him was you can come to the wedding. I really fucking want you to be there. <sighs> But after the wedding, like, let's get some help. Let's get someone to, to, to facilitate a conversation of healing. And he called me on Tuesday and he said, Hey, Sarah, I'm following up on what you said before the wedding to heal our relationship. Wow. And so I, I had reached out to a therapist to facilitate a conversation between us that was set up and the day of his funeral, that therapist emailed me saying, you know, we're good to go. And I had to say, my brother's actually dead. And it feels very unresolved. And at the same time, I know that it was never my responsibility to be his parent. And it was never my responsibility to take care of him. And I talked to one of my psychics after his death to try to communicate and understand this more. And one of the things that she shared with me was when Joe did stop breathing, his, you know, soul left his body and Jordan was there to, to meet him and to, um, help him, but not in a happy way. He actually was pissed and said, go back. What are you like? What the fuck are you doing, brother? Like go back. And Joe said in his spirit body, no, I don't. I don't want to go back. That life was too hard. He was in constant turmoil and life here was really, really hard for him. And so I don't blame him in that sense. I think that he's where he wanted to be. And I think that this was a peaceful death in some sense. Cause he, he just stopped breathing and he got to go be with his older brother and I truly feel like the luckiest fucking girl on this planet because I have two brothers now that are, I interpret as my spirit guides that I call on all the time. And it's funny because again, back to parenting them for so many years, now I feel like they're taking care of me. Mm. So it was almost like this karmic like contract, this, this, I don't know, soul contract that we might've had before we ever entered, entered this family, ever entered this lifetime that was predetermined. And I remind my little sister of that, you know, she's experienced more trauma than I have in finding Joe. And, um, I just remind her that she and I are both so fucking lucky to have two brothers looking out for us all the time. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Wow. I just, you know, I look at you and you're just so strong and have been through so much. And 
I mean, I knew these stories. I knew about them. Yeah. But to hear you talk about it and the way you have taken it as such a blessing mm-hmm. and the way you want to honor them and help people. Yeah. While on your own journey of illness and trying to take care of yourself and figure out your own shit, mm-hmm. life's hard enough. And then you add these other things in. Yeah. And um, it's always interesting when people look at you and they think something and they have no idea what's behind it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, when we talk about that with chronic illness all the time, that was one of my biggest struggles. I always looked fine, but I wanted to die on the inside. Yeah. And I'm sure you've had those moments too. Oh, yeah. And on top of that, you have all this family stuff that you've dealt with. What's your internal dialogue managing that chaos that I'm sure you have felt and staying grounded in yourself and not spiraling into yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Part of it is, it's multi-layered. Part of it is like the main messages and inspiration that I have gathered from both Jordan and Joe. And one of the greatest things Jordan taught me, they're very different, super different. Uh, the One of the main things that Jordan taught me was that it, Normal was boring to be yourself, to be fucking weird. Like I'm weird. My I like you. <laughs> my husband, <laughs> my husband will like look at me and then he'll be like, you, like, I love you, but like, you're weird. I'm like, yeah, I know I'm really weird. <laughs> and for so long I hid that part of me and who I am. And again, that was exhausting. And I think it contributed to my illness. So I really took that from Jordan's death was that it was okay to be yourself. And so when I get really down and mess him, a song comes on, uh, I see a picture of him. I am a place where he and I shared a memory. I am sad, but I also put myself in this place of deep appreciation and gratitude for what he gave me in the 25 years he was here. And the main one of the main lessons I learned from Joe was also just reverberated throughout his entire funeral, his entire service. It was just said so many different ways by everyone who got up to talk. And that message is to, to listen, to truly hold space for people who, regardless of how well you know them, It could be a stranger on the street. It can be your best friend, but to hold space for people to be heard, to put down your effing cell phone or whatever. It could be, you could be reading a book. I don't care, but like just turn and look somebody in the eyes and to really see people and to allow them to share themselves with you. And Joe was always a, kind of preaching that uh, he loved mentoring other people. And part of it was to his vo- avoid his own shit. And I'm guilty of that too. <laughs> uh, but he also really, he wanted everyone to, to understand each other. And so that's something I've taken. This is still fresh. I'm still definitely in the grieving process with, with both of them, but especially Joe. But the last few months, it's allowed me to be a better listener to myself and to other people. 
And I think as a whole, how I, my internal dialogue and how I navigate all of this and other, some other traumas I've also experienced in my life is <laughs> I, I sometimes jokingly say, I feel like I've really mastered, mastered the skill of turning shit into gold mm. and not in a way that doesn't honor what you've been through and not in a way that makes you forget what you've been through but instead to really recode that or reframe that inside your mind. So I'm like a huge neuro, neuroscience nerd. I love, I love everything subconscious reprogramming and it's been very helpful and healing for me in my life. And what I feel like I've gotten really good at is taking the darkest shadowiest parts of my life and my existence so far in my 32 years of life and transforming them because every emotion, every experience we've all been through is just, it's just an energetic frequency and we can, we can change frequencies. We, you know, everyone's um, high vibe, right? Like you're talking about being freq a frequency it's used. And I think a lot of the wrong way and it's overused, but oh yeah, trendy, <laughs> yeah. trendy now. Uh, but really you can, transform things in your life. And I think it, it does take practice, like, like anything you want to get really good at. But to me, I, I feel like I've really devoted myself and I've effed up a bunch of times and I've, I've hit plateaus and I've gotten stuck and I've taken wrong turns, but I've really devoted myself to immersing myself into the shadow so that I can in the darkness bring out my flashlight. Cause I hear oftentimes like, Oh, you're so, you're shine so bright, Sarah, you're so sparkly unicorn blah. And it's like, yeah. And I own that. And I like that about myself, but it's not because I have always been this way. I'm bright and sparkly and whatever because of the darkness that I've been through and my ability to bring out my flashlight and shine a light on that darkness. Mm. You are an empath. And that is really your entire brand and everything that you do. Yeah. What, at what point did you realize that you are an empath and you can, you have these abilities to talk to your spirit guides, to get yeah. these downloads, to really connect? So when I was really little, I would spend all my time outside in the backwoods and in the forest. And I was very connected to nature and I would build fairy houses and they were, they were good. They were amazing. <laughs> fairy houses. There's probably still one in my mom's Aww. garage. And I would build these fairy houses and I would, I don't remember like literally seeing fairies and talking to them, but I do remember just feeling energy, just being connected to energy and beyond what our human eyes are capable of seeing and just sensing people's emotions and feeling very in tune with like the deeper layer of whatever was going on in any room. And then I really turned that off, like really turned that off uh, later in life. And it was, I think a lot of it was trying to preserve that perfectionism and not ever wanting to color outside the lines and being like, okay, low rise jeans are popular in the early 2000s in high school. That's what I'm going to wear. And like, just following the crowd and like when, so like I said, Jordan taught me to be different and to be myself. I really feel like it wasn't until he died that I woke myself back up to 
what I was inherently capable of and born with and, and really was into as a little girl that then in his death, I felt like I had no choice but to question. I wasn't raised in any religion at all. Um, just, there was just, it was really just a lack of anything around a religion. It wasn't like there's no God or there's a God or this religion or that. It was just nothing. Like there was just nothing taught. And that was fine for most of my life. I didn't feel like I needed that. And then Jordan died. And you're like, well, what the hell, what happens to people when they die? I don't know. I don't have the answers and no one has ever taught me what I'm supposed to think. So I'm going to go on a journey of freaking self discovery and exploration and figure out what I believe. And in that process of just really like it was humbling. I was like, I don't, I do not know, but I opened myself up to every single possibility. And in that I connected deeper to my soul self, my higher self, and all of a sudden started experiencing things that, that were unexplainable and like really unexplainable and realized that there was a name for it. Uh, cause I wasn't, didn't grow up talking about empaths. I didn't grow up in a spiritual family or a, like a woo family. It was something that all actually all of us have kind of rediscovered after Jordan's death that has helped us heal so, so much. And now everything in my life makes more sense. I'm like, Oh, that's why I feel this way. Oh my God. That's why I have problems with boundaries. <laughs> and uh, I feel like I understand myself better now. And it has become my mission uh, to be of service to the world, to other empaths who are trying to navigate this path and hitting their own bumps of what does it mean to be highly sensitive and what does it mean to feel things deeply? And that doesn't have to be a weakness. Like you are allowed to use that as your greatest strength. So when you say you're an empath, what does that mean for you? So I think on the most basic level, it is that we feel other people's feelings or physical sensations as if they're in our own body. So we're very tuned into energy. And when I say we, I really am talking about the entire freaking planet because I think we're all born with the ability to tap into our what's called clairsentience. Mm -hmm. And there's clair senses or clear senses. So there's uh, like clairvoyance is the one we hear the most because that's what the psychics, you know, psychics often go by a clairvoyant and that'd be like the clear seeing, clear vision, um, claircognizance is clear knowing. These are just our senses that we already have, feeling being one of them that can be amplified. And I believe, and again, I, I definitely think there's people who will disagree, but I, I believe that we all have clair senses that we can amplify or we can turn down. And at one point in my life, I turned the volume of clairsentience or the empath, the clear feeler way down in order to, to protect myself. And then I needed it to actually to turn up to protect myself again, to figure out how do I navigate loss and grief and death. And so to me, I think we all, unless you are like a sociopath or a narcissist, I think we all have the, uh, the, potential to amplify our empath abilities. I don't think it's something that you're just like, well, she's born with it and she's not, and he's born with it and he's not. I think we can all practice feeling deeper and tuning into the energy of people. And 
crazy story. I felt both my brothers die. I didn't know. I had no idea. Like I had no idea that's what was happening, but I, it was within 30 minutes after both these physical experiences I had that I got phone calls and my brothers died. So again, it's not just, oh, I feel that you're sad. I see your sadness or I see you're happy. And so I feel happy. It's also some people feel it on a physical level. So when Jordan died, I was at a yoga event with boyfriend, fiance, now husband. <laughs> and I, he had to carry me to the car. I curled over in pain out of nowhere. And I was like, babe, my, ow, my stomach is, something's wrong. I am in immense pain. He carried me to the car. My phone had been on do not disturb because I was actually volunteering at the event and trying to be present. And I had 13 missed calls from every single person in my family who had been trying to call me over those last 30 minutes and tell me that Jordan was dead. Whoa. Then this is going to be a TMI, but I feel like your audience is like, really, they they, they're it. here for it. Oh, they they're are, here for it. <laughs> so October 19th, I had just got home from um, teaching yoga and doing some air. I think I went to Trader Joe's <laughs> and I uh, got home and I was putting away the groceries and all of a sudden my stomach was in this immense pain. This time I ran upstairs to my bathroom and had diarrhea. And I was like, what the hell was that? Like out of nowhere, I'm in this intense pain, like on the toilet, literally I'm still on the toilet with my phone in my hand. Cause I, cause sh- that's I, what we do. I really should stop bringing my, my freaking phone to the toilet, but I had my phone on the toilet and call from my mom, call from my sister and text from my sister's best friend, all telling me that Joe died. Yeah, it was, I felt it. And and so I guess arguably you could also say, maybe I didn't feel them die, but I felt the grief of my family members as they all found out and were trying to connect with me. But either way you felt it yeah. so deeply. Yeah. Wow. That's really intense. Yeah. <laughs> I know you work with so many entrepreneurs that are empaths. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like are some of the things that we run into that are difficult having these very deep feelings or connectedness? Yeah. I like to see it more as a strength. So I teach actually an empath uh, sales course because I think we can use our ability to feel people's like fear or objections in order to sign up as a way to it's an opportunity. It's a coaching moment to help them get over fear and to feel into what they are experiencing so that you can be of the highest service. And sometimes that means, Hey, we're not a good fit. It doesn't mean like tricking people into working with you, but instead, uh, really just noticing how, what energy people are bringing into an environment to be a, a of high service, to be the best freaking coach you can, because you're noticing the subtle things about somebody that somebody else may not be tuned into. Uh, that is beyond what they're saying verbally. And instead you're listening with your entire body, a whole body listening. And so I think it's mostly a strength, but I also have a lot of clients who come to me who have seen it as a wound for so long. And they think, oh, well, uh, a lot of times empaths are also introverts. And I think that happens like for obvious reasons, which is, well, we feel everything so deeply and then you get overwhelmed and then you have anxiety and panic attacks and overwhelmed. You just, so you, you close yourself off from the world. And so a lot of people come to me and they're like, I'm too introvert. I could never do what you do, Sarah. I'm so introverted. And I'm like, girl, I am an INFJ introvert, like at the core here this morning, as I was coming over here, I was like, 
oh, this is outside my comfort zone. This is somebody else's house. And I felt comfortable with you and your energy, but it was still like, I'm an introvert at heart. And, and so oftentimes they come and whatever the, the wound they feel like they have around being the empath, or I'm too sensitive to, to coach somebody. And when I'm holding space during a coaching session, I pick up too much of their trauma or their childhood wounds or their physical pain. And then I have to sage myself and I have to take a salt bath after every single call because of all this energy I'm picking up from their stuff. And uh, to me, that's something we can like we can just train the the central nervous system to be able to cope with that. That's something that it doesn't have to be your story. I think it is a story we fall have potentially fallen into of I'm too sensitive to do that or I'm too introverted to do that or I pick up on too many energies and it's too overwhelming for me. And well, you just need a new new set of tools. You need a new way of holding space and being that really amazing listener and using your empath abilities as a strength. And at the same time, boundaries and protection and really an opportunity to discharge some of the energy that you may be picking up or feeling or experiencing from your clients as well. So those are some of the things that go into it that I think we do have to look at a little bit differently as empath entrepreneurs. Uh, But really, I think that also can help any entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny, too. It's like... We, are, we turn ourselves into martyrs and we're like, oh, but it's just like, I'm just doing this for you. And it's just so hard for me. And I'm giving up all of this and yeah. I have to take this bath in order to help you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, fuck off. Like, yeah. let's learn how to create boundaries. Let's yeah. not make it this whole thing because it doesn't have to be that way. No. And I, I totally get it. I used to, when I was in TV, I would be at Dodger Stadium for like three days straight doing games. And I was there for 12 hours a day. Yeah with 60,000 people as a highly sensitive empath, that is literally hell. Yes. And I didn't have boundaries and I was, I didn't understand. And I would become this person where I was like, Oh my God, it's so hard for me to just like go to work and just like takes everything out of me. I had no boundaries. I had no way of like protecting myself or taking care of myself or being like, this is as far as I'm going to go with this. And I don't have to take all of your shit on. No, I felt like I did because I'm a helper and I'm an Enneagram too. And this is what I do. And I'm going to save the world. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but that's not your job. Mm -hmm. So stop making this story about this being your role. It's not like you can show up and have boundaries and it's okay. Mm -hmm. To me, it's a combination. Like that story you were just telling is, uh, addressing limiting beliefs and working on energetic practices. So we have to learn how to enforce boundaries and protect our energy. But if you still have a limiting belief that you have to fix and help everyone in the world, even if you're protecting your energy on the more subtle quantum level, then you're still always going to operate from that place of I have to fix and I have to help. And even if you have boundaries, like that's going to trump our beliefs, our limbic system is it's going to like trump that, that desire to change. So when we say consciously, oh, I'm going to go into this situation and I'm going to have strong boundaries. It's one thing to consciously say, I'm going to change or I'm going to do something differently. But if you have a limiting belief that is stored in the subconscious mind, then it's going to be, you you hit bumps and you revert back into your old patterns until you penetrate what's called the critical factor of your mind, which goes then into the subconscious. And then we, in the subconscious can actually change. Mm -hmm. And then it's not so hard to be like, I got to change. I got to change. I got to change and repeat and tell yourself and 
you know, be really super aware of how you're behaving or acting or whatever around your boundaries. And instead it's just part of who your new, like you are, but your new identity is. Mm -hmm. And that was something I had to go through in my own experience with boundaries is my identity was around that caretaker and that fixer. And like, that's just who I am. Aren't I awesome? I fix everybody. (laughs) You want some fixing? Come on. It showed up (laughs) like, come on down. And it showed up in the guys I dated. Oh, yeah. like, oh my God. Oh, I'm, I was everyone's mom. Oh, oh, <laughs> yes, me too. I still am sometimes with Connor and he's oh. like, thanks mom. And I'm like, fuck. Oh, this is unsexy. Don't do I gotta it. change this. <laughs> I, I'm still that way with, with Andrew sometimes too. And yeah. yeah, it's not, it's not good. But, um, so, so we can, I lost my train of thought. I did too. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, I was playing the role of the fixer. Yeah. So if that was my identity, then, then that's going to be something that I continuously like, you know, go back to, go back to versus when you have a subconscious change, my identity, like literally changed from trying to be the fixer and caretaker to everybody in my life to now I am responsible for myself and what I have in excess and overflow of energy, of love, of compassion, of empathy, I'm happy to dish out to the world. Like I'm in numerous ways, but that is now my identity is I put myself first versus my old identity was Sarah comes last. Mm-hmm. And then as it, it, that change does happen on a subconscious level, it's just a new way of being. It doesn't take so much freaking effort. Mm-hmm. No. Something that we both really resonate with. We talked about this the other day on our call is moving out of the chronic illness space and not because we don't believe in the education around it and the importance of food and getting the right doctor and, and all of that work. But there's this missing piece that so few people are talking about. And this goes back to the beginning of our conversation of trauma and energy and how that is stored in our body. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I have just shouted from the rooftops on my last few episodes about I'm like, you guys, I'm not giving you fucking recipes anymore. Follow the autoimmune protocol. These are the things I did. Food is important. Supplements are important. Get a functional medicine doctor. Yeah. And let's talk about all the shit that's under that. Yeah. Because I did all of that and then there were still missing pieces. And it wasn't until I did the spiritual work and I did plant medicine and I worked through trauma and I became very honest with myself about my life. Then my body healed. Yeah. How have you progressed out of this very basic idea of what chronic illness is and moved into the space you are now? Yeah. I mean, even what I said earlier around there's this common principle theory that goes around of the body attacking itself. And to me, that immediately puts us into victimization. Oh, well, you're being attacked by your own body. That sucks. And... I was so tired of playing the victim and I resonate with you, Kelly, in that I, I was, well, I was eating hardly anything. I was so restricted on like these 10 foods and I would open the fridge and I would just start crying and I'm like, what is happening to my life? You know? And the anxiety was debilitating and I, you know, I was eating healthy foods and nutrient dense diet. And I, I'm a yoga teacher. I practice meditation, like all these things that you'd think are, the, you know, image of a healthy person. And you mentioned this before, it's, we don't look sick. It's right. like, Oh, you're, you're pretty. You look, you know, you're fit, whatever you look like, you're fine. And it, no, I'm really struggling underneath this. And so I hit a plateau. I got super stuck. 
I felt so restricted. I felt just like, I, I felt like I was going crazy. I felt like I could pull my hair out and just like, and my hair literally was falling out. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that there had to be more. And I get, I, 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 in the loss of Jordan, this is a lot of when that opened up for me, because when your emotions are no longer stored away and you unlock them, then there's the opportunity to heal them. And then through the opportunity that you have to heal that process of healing emotions, physiological things happen inside of your body. Your body shifts, your body changes as you heal on that emotional level. And I kind of stumbled upon that on accident through grief. And I was like, Ooh, I'm actually like my, my physical body's feeling better. Shouldn't it be feeling worse? My brother just died. And I started to feel better because I was healing my emotions. And that just like sparked a interest, a curiosity within me. I went to go see my first ever energy healer and realized I didn't even know what a limiting belief was at that time. And she's like, you got this and you got this. And And I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) (laughs) I got to do all that. But it actually wasn't, it wasn't a grueling process. It was just, uh, it was actually really eye opening to be uh, seen, to be really seen beyond lab work, to be seen beyond uh, uh, diagnostics and labels of disease, to be seen on an emotional level was really powerful. And it was then that I discovered that regardless of how many supplements I was taking to help my liver detox pathway be primed and ready and squeaky clean, <laughs> no matter how many coffee enemas I was doing to clean out my butt and get things going, that was never going to, in the case of the liver, actually heal me if I didn't, our liver oftentimes holds anger. So I was I would never have admitted it 10 years ago, but I was pissed. I was pissed about so many things in my life and my fineness covered that up. My perfectness covered that up, but it was, I had to heal anger in my life. And then I knew my liver healed because my skin cleared up. And when your liver's backed up, your skin helps to detox excess in your life. And so that was a really good sign for me of how the emotional healing was helping my physical body and the same thing, colon, intestines, digestive system. I use the example of like coffee enemas and again, probiotics and all these things that I was trying to do perfectly, nauseatingly perfectly in my life. Uh, when I finally processed a lot of, uh, truths that I didn't want to see, like, I just really didn't want to I didn't want to come to terms with a lot of things in my life and even about myself, like my, my own imperfections. Mm -hmm. And when I processed and digested those things in my life, all of a sudden my digestive system started working again. So I encourage everyone to go on their own journey with that and to have like a healthy dose of skepticism and be like, to me, it's a curiosity. I'm going to be curious. Like I, I have been doing yoga and meditating and eating all the right foods and I'm not feeling better. So like, let me get curious about emotional healing or working on the subconscious or 
uh, looking at some of these childhood traumas and how they are potentially the actual root and source, maybe in conjunction with physical things that are happening or imbalances or or co-infections you have in your body. Like don't disregard functional medicine. Go, you said this before, I'm just gonna reiterate this. Like, please go take care of your physical body because until your physical body starts to get out of survival mode, any of the emotional, mental, spiritual, it's gonna be that much harder for your body to actually receive. So do it. I have a FD, FDN who I freaking changed my life. I like I swear by functional medicine and I just I just rehired him to help me more. So do that, but then also be curious about what else could help you get over that plateau, that hump that maybe you're stuck at and be even more transformational in your healing. I'm glad you said that cuz I was just going to say that and knowing that you have to get your physical body to a place where you can even like the limit the amount of brain fog you have so yeah. that you can actually think clearly about <laughs> right. your trauma. Right. Yes. We can't start with that because you can't even think straight and you right. probably can't get out of bed. Right. If you were to get sick for the first time now, mm. knowing what you know, mm -hmm. what would you do? What is the route? I, oh my God, I love this question. <laughs> I've never asked anyone and I honestly haven't thought about it because I'm like, well, I'm not. So yeah, well, I just got sick. So this is very, so I can tell you a story. <laughs> so I thought I had like every, you know, my perfectionism still creeps in in a very annoying way. <laughs> I'm still working on it, but I, you know, thought I had everything under control. Like anxiety is a thing of the past. I'm good sister, like healed done. And I knew I was still on like a journey of like personal growth, but I thought I had a lot of my physical health stuff like checked off. And, um, this December I got really sick, really sick. And I ended up getting diagnosed with a, vi a viral chest infection, viral meningitis, which is inflammation of your spinal cord and your brain. And, uh, after there was a, I had a cold and then it turned into this and then I never felt better. I'm actually still struggling with some remnants of it. So I just got tested for Lyme and mold and yeah, I know, <laughs> you know, I'm like, actually, I just sent the results over to my practitioner and I should know soon whether it looks like actually it's negative, which is great. So it's my, my answer to your question is I ran the test. I, you know, here's my, here's my physical symptoms. I showed my FD on that. And he's like, you know, we should do a mold test. We should take the VCS as visual, like acuity test to see if you likely have a uh, mold exposure or not. I was in LA for two weeks and that's where they think maybe this kicked off. And so I, I did the functional approach in the physical body, but before I rushed into that, I sat with this and it, it makes so much freaking sense. I had a viral chest infection. Where do you hold grief in your mm, body? In your lungs. Your lungs. Wow. Yeah. So I, I, I acknowledged that before I reached out to any practitioners and I just said, okay, I'm, this is grief. I am clogged. I am clogged as fuck. And my head, uh, viral meningitis there. Uh, <sighs> Because of the state of my, the relationship of my brother and I, Joe, when he died, it has been really effing hard for me to process his death. And beyond that, I can't actually like legally share um, all the details of uh, the investigation that's going on around his death right now. Cause it's not, it's an open investigation, mm -hmm. but what I can say is there was details to his death and his toxicology report that don't make sense. And so I don't know how to process that. I feel like I don't know 
by what means my brother actually died. How do I, how do I logically think about this? So my brain is inflamed. <laughs> and so what did I do? I literally had like a, a, I call it a purging party. So I, I made myself cry. I was, it was so, it was really hard for some reason. I was still holding it back, even though I'm very much okay with having emotions. Um, I, I did this, I've done this a lot in the last two months where I either like go into the salt bath and turn on sad music or literally throw my head into a pillowcase. And I'm like, cry, goddamn it. Like you need, I'm sad, but it, it, it was feeling hard to come out. Uh, or I <laughs> watch sad videos and it just like, to, to initiate the tears. Cause it, it's not that like, I'm actually, well, as the empath, I am kind of sad about the videos, but really I'm trying to get myself to feel grief and, and purge that to, to experience the grief. And I, oh my God, I was in LA and I cried for probably an hour before bed one night. And I woke up and I was like, oh, I can breathe. I can breathe. All of a sudden I could breathe again. And so as symptoms, physical symptoms present themselves in my life today, I allow myself to get curious and realize, okay, so yeah, technically there is inflammation in my body that I can do things about on a physical level, but there's also a lot I can do on an emotional level that could actually be exponentially quicker to heal the issue versus getting lab tested and, you know, going on whatever treatment. So I like to combine both of those approaches in whatever I have surface in my life now is what is the emotion behind this symptom? What do I need to process or experience or go through on that emotional level? And then if it doesn't go away right away, then I start asking more questions. Okay. Well, maybe I do need to get some lab tests done and see what's going on inside my body. But, uh, the, the full picture there would be it. I look at myself as an entire human being beyond just my physical, uh, beyond just one organ, beyond just one part, beyond one, just one symptom and how everything is interrelated and connected. I love that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. This, this has been a really blast. Special. I appreciate you so much oh. and just how honest you are. And again, you are so incredibly strong and inspiring and the work you do is really, really important. And I'm just Thank so you. grateful. Ah, you're beautiful at holding this space. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you all so much for listening to The Kelly Show. If you haven't yet subscribed, be sure to do so now and head to ratethispodcast.com slash Kelly to leave a five-star review. And as a bonus for doing that, if you send me a screenshot of your review before you submit, I will get you a little thank you gift in the mail. All right, we have another juicy episode coming for you next week, so stay tuned. And as always, if I can support you in any way, please reach out. Remember, I'm just a DM or an email away. See you guys soon.